Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. This morning, I want to welcome everyone to CT Church on what is, uh, is the National Sanctity of Life Sunday. It was 47 years ago this coming Tuesday that the Supreme Court ruled on Roe versus Wade, and it changed the face of our nation. It was a decision that changed the attitude and the definition of innocent life in America. As a matter of fact, they thought they were defining when life began. It was a man-made law that violated and continues to violate God's supreme law. And I believe that we as a nation have been paying a very, very dear price for almost half a century now. January 22nd, 1973 changed the United States of America. Let me look, let's look at the definition of the word sanctity. The definition says the state or quality of being holy or sacred. The state of being, uh, of uh, the state or quality of being holy or sacred. Regardless of what man-made laws might say, God's word tells us that he views human life as a very sacred thing. Do you believe that this morning? It is something to be protected, not squandered or destroyed. Let me read a couple of portions of Scripture, beginning with Genesis 1, 27 and 28. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Psalms 139.13 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You know, when, when we look back through history of our nation when we, uh, and around the world, when we think of people uh, or different organizations that were responsible for taking many, many innocent lives, there are several names that would probably pop into our head. You know, maybe famous gangsters like Bonnie and Clyde. They killed a lot of people. Machine Gun Kelly, John Dillinger, Al Capone. When I grew up in Illinois, Al Capone, he was in Chicago. And our Illinois state campgrounds for the Assemblies of God was on property that in the, in the 30s was owned by Al Capone. And there was this big, there's to this day, this huge barn on this 
property that has been called for many years now the Motel because anytime there was an overflow in all the dorms for youth camps, us boys, many of us would get have to go down and stay at the Motel. And to this day, there are, you know, what this was, there's a, a big set of those, uh, they look like those tornado storm doors, you know, you see on farms that you go outside and you open them up, but these are really big. They were so big that when the heat was on Al Capone, he and his guys would come down to Carlinville, Illinois, where our campground is, and they'd open up those doors and they could drive their vehicles right under this big, huge barn. But they would stay up in the barn, they'd get drunk and plastered, and they'd, have, and they'd start shooting the place up. And they're still in these big timbers, you know, bullet holes from Al Capone and his guys. And then several years later, the Assemblies of God bought this property. <laughs> what the devil had for <laughs> Al Capone, the Assemblies of God turned it into good. No, God turned it into good. Anyway, that little story doesn't have anything to do with my sermon, but wasn't that interesting? <laughs> Just thought I'd throw it in there for free, not even in my notes there. Sometimes we may think of serial killers when we think of people that took innocent life, John Wayne Gacy, Jeffrey Dahmer, Ted Bundy, people like that. Maybe we think of certain militant groups, Al-Qaeda, uh, the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia. Political figures like Pontius Pilate, Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, probably most notably would be Adolf Hitler. That name pops into our head. During the 30s and 40s, Hitler, he planned and he carried out one of the most horrible cases of eugenics known to man. How many are familiar with that word, eugenics? Here's the definition of eugenics. It's the attempt to improve the hereditary qualities of a race or breed. Sounds like we're talking about someone who works with dogs or horses, doesn't it? But he, we're talking about human life here. Hitler thought that the very best way to begin his super Aryan race was to weed out the inferior races. And in his mind, that was most notably the Jews. There were several, a uh, few others thrown in there, but most notably the Jewish people. And in all of his writings, Hitler never really came out and said why he felt they were the inferior race. We know, I think we have a hindsight of knowing, why was the Jewish race picked out? This is because since the beginning of, uh, of time, Man has been trying to eliminate the Jewish race. It's satanically inspired. Laws were passed stripping the Jews of their rights. Their property was taken. They were quarantined to various areas, ghettos they were called. Then they were forced to wear armbands to identify themselves. Later, in many cases, they were literally branded like cattle. They were forced to work as slaves, herded into concentration camps. They were used for medical experiments. In fact, sadly to say, a lot of the medical data that we have to this day concerning how much pain the human body can withstand before it dies was studied and documented by Nazi doctors who experimented on the Jews. By 1945, you know, 19, some people that sounds like uh, forever. How many of you were 
alive in 1945. Look around. There's a lot of hands. This, this took place in, in their lifetime. By 1945, which was just 75 years ago, over 6 million Jews had been systematically murdered by the Nazi regime. This was over about a 10-year period. 6 million in 10 years. Say it with me. 6 million in 10 years. So if you're going to average it out, according to my math, that's about 600,000 a year. But we know that a large percentage of that took place in just the last few years. But if you're going to average it out, 6 million over a 10-year period. In the 2,000 years since Christ was crucified, there are many people uh, that consider this the most horrific injustice ever committed against mankind. And yet as far as the overall number of victims are concerned, what the Nazis did doesn't even compare. It doesn't even compare to the prolific eradication of life that has transpired in the last 47 years just here in America. I'm not, we're not talking about Germany or Afghanistan or just some third world country. We're speaking of what has transpired in the United States of America, the most civilized nation on earth, right? Right? Since January 22nd, 1973, more than 62 million human lives have been ended. 62 million. There are now over a million abortions performed every year in the United States. It has to be, without a doubt, our greatest national sin. And if you look at worldwide numbers that number is dwarfed. We have about a million a year in the United States. Just in India and China, there are almost 28 million every year. So all told, there are approximately 60 million abortions performed worldwide every year. Ten times the number of lives taken during the entire 10-year Nazi Holocaust. Ten times that number, only we're talking every single year. I want to say this morning as I'm getting into this particular message that the purpose of this message is not to condemn or place judgment on anyone who may have already experienced this in their, in their life. God's word does tell us abortion is wrong. It violates God's word, but it is certainly not any less forgivable than sins that you and I have committed in our lives. God's word plainly tells us that each and every one of us, we have all sinned, we've all fallen short of God's glory, right? There are zero exceptions. But the purpose of this message, uh, I would say, is twofold. First, it is my prayer that this word prevents a woman from making this choice sometime in the future. And secondly, to bring hope and assurance that God's mercy and forgiveness is absolutely available to anyone who has already made this choice in their life. And if I was going to throw in a third reason, it would say I, I, I like to preach this message while I still can without the fear of getting thrown in jail. 
Because that day could very well be coming sooner than we think. Especially what happens in the upcoming elections this year could have a drastic effect on a pastor's ability to get in the pulpit and really preach God's word. It is not beyond the realm of possibility even in the United States of America. But I would say probably no single issue divides the American people today more than the issue of abortion. Some might argue right now, well, no, this whole deal with uh, uh, President Trump being impeached, that, that, that divides more. You know what? A year from now, this, this whole impeachment thing is going to come and go relatively quickly, I believe. A year from now, hardly anyone will be talking about it. But they've, we've been talking about this, and we have been battling this and dealing with this for almost close to 50 years. This issue, unfortunately, has real staying power. 50 years. And the question usually that arises is whose rights are more important, the mother or the unborn baby? The bat this battle rages on. Usually in the media, anti-abortion Christians are portrayed as kind of dumb, narrow-minded extremists. We are usually the extremists. And some of that is brought on because, unfortunately, some people who have called themselves Christians have been the very ones who have bombed abortion ki uh, clinics, killing abortion doctors and even innocent bystanders. So that hasn't helped our cause at all. But here's where we stand today. The statistics are this. Over, over 50% of the American population now believes that a woman has an inalienable right to abort her child if it's still in the womb. But we even have proof. We know that even more sad than that, it has happened many, many times outside the womb. To me, it's becoming quite clear that the abortion issue between Christian and non-Christians pro-lifers and pro-choicers, this is never, I don't think it's ever going to be fully settled until Christ returns and reigns for a thousand years. And let me tell you, it'll be settled then. The deal is this, what, you know, really what pro-life people, pro-choice people, what they have to say about abortion is not important compared to this what God has to say about abortion. That's where the rubber meets the road. What does his word have to say about this particular issue? I know a lot of you on Sunday morning, you come to church, oh, you know, I like to hear Pastor Doug's sermons. He throws some jokes in there. It's always kind of fun. I just, uh, there's nothing fun that you can make out of this sermon. You realize that. So there's no jokes forthcoming this morning. Next week. <laughs> it's really tough to blend any type of humor into something that has had such a drastic effect on our nation. And you may not realize it or not, but it has affected all of our lives. We have all been affected 
by this blight on America. And I'm going to get, I'll, I'll explain why I think each and every one of us have been greatly affected as we move on here. But just, let me just say we've all been affected. So Proverbs 6.17 says that God hates hands that shed innocent blood. It's right there in black and white. I don't know if there's any greater example of innocent blood than that of a baby, let alone an unborn baby. How much more innocent does it get? Some people might say, well, I know it's a bad problem, but I mean, what about all the murders that take place in the United States? I have the total number of criminal murders in 2018. I don't have statistics, couldn't find them yet for 2019. Probably hasn't changed a whole lot. Total number of criminal murders in America in 2018. Who wants to throw out a guess? 30,000? 17,000. I would have guessed higher also, Dave, if that makes you feel any better. 17,000. That's all drug-related, gang-related, mob-related, domestic violence-related, drunken driver-related, manslaughters, armed robbery-related, everything, total number right at about 17,000, which is about, comes out to about 48 per day, which comes out to about one every 30 minutes. In the time we're in this room, on average, there will be two people murdered in the United States. That seems like a huge number, doesn't it? Sounds like a lot of murders. Wow, one every half hour. It is, in fact, about enough to fill the AT&T Center where the Spurs play. How many of you have been in there? Place holds around 17,000 people. So it'd be like going into the AT&T Center, seeing the place completely packed, even the upstairs, you know, the upper level. Everything is just packed. You could look around and say, this is how many people are murdered in the United States every year. If you were to put one baby in each seat in the AT&T Center that, was, that is aborted each year, you wouldn't need one AT&T center. You would need 58 AT&T centers every year. God's word is our ultimate guide. I believe God's word clearly tells us that this is sin and uh, plain and simply it's taking innocent life. But the American atrocity is this. It's not even a crime and it hasn't been for 47 years. On the contrary, today it is now very, very politically incorrect to throw abortion into any conversation that concerns criminal murder. Oh, you're going to, they'll come down on you like you cannot believe. Abortion is America's Holocaust, and it dwarfs the Nazi Holocaust. It dwarfs it. We're talking about sanctity of life, which says that all human life is a gift from God, that only he has the authority to give or take life. Isaiah 44, 24 says this. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. 
Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So this is, we're talking before we're even formed in the womb. God says, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. That word applies to all of us. Maybe God hasn't appointed us to, as a prophet to the nations. He has appointed each and every one of us as a witness to the nation. I can That much I can tell you right off the bat with full assurity. He appointed each of us as a witness to the nations before we were ever born. You know, the most, one of the most popular arguments that the media likes to make concerning this is the health of the mother. That's the first thing you hear is why this became legal. Here are, here are the statistics. Health of the mother, rape, and incest all combined, they account for less than, less than 3% of all abortions. Less than 3%. Here's some other interesting facts to have because Planned Parenthood likes to tell us when life begins. I don't know who put them in charge. Well, I do know who put them in charge. The American population. We put them in charge. They like to tell us when life begins. Did you know that 18 days after conception, the baby's heart is beating? Two weeks, basically two weeks. Within 45 days, brain waves and the vital organs are present. 45 days, month and a half. Would you say there's life there? There's a heart beating, there's brain waves, there's blood pumping through vital organs. That sounds like life to me, doesn't it? By eight weeks, the baby responds to painful stimulus by eight weeks. By 10 weeks, fingerprints and footprints are engraved on the skin. By 12 weeks, babies can inhale and exhale fluid and have distinct facial expressions. 12 weeks. Three months. By 16 weeks, fingernails and eyelashes are present. High levels of activity. Tells us that by, this, by the seventh week of, of any pregnancy, all of the baby's vital organs have been formed, brain waves are present. This baby is a full functioning person that is thinking about stuff, who knows what. And yet, according to, this is, these are statistics from Planned Parenthood. 97% of all abortions occur after the seventh week of pregnancy. You know, 90%, that's almost like saying you, almost all, almost all are performed after that seventh week. Some of them many, many, many weeks past that. Yet they still want the public to believe that all they're cutting apart and sucking into that little tube is a lifeless piece of tissue. As a matter of fact, I, you can go on their website. I went on it this week just to see what all they had changed up or what, not much. And I, have, I can't stay on that website long. It just makes me so angry reading through it. 
you can click on one uh, button, what to expect. And it's, it's, it's in such nice, gentle words. And they take you through the steps of what to expect. And one is they'll, they, they'll insert the tube and they will gently remove the pregnancy tissue. When I read that, it just makes my, the pregnancy tissue. They, they don't have the guts to say your baby. They don't have the guts to say that. It's not a baby, it's pregnancy. Gently removed. There's nothing gentle about it, one. And secondly, it's not tissue. It's a person. So not only does God's word say this is not true, but even medical science proves that really there is life at conception. So with that established, this morning I want to just briefly talk about three very specific reasons found in God's word of why Abortion is wrong in God's eyes. And then I'm going to share just uh, some practical things that we as Christians can do to fight this American Holocaust. First of all, abortion is wrong because it violates God's instruction. Genesis 1.27. Again, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So God's plan from the very beginning of time was for us to be fruitful and multiply. It was to be within the framework of marriage. But even if it's not, nowhere in God's word can we find that Ending the life of an unborn baby is justifiable in any way, even if it was conceived outside of wedlock. It's just, it's not there. Now, how many of you believe God has a plan for each of us? If you really believe that, again, let me see your hand. You really think God has a plan for us? Most of you believe that. Unfortunately, God is not the only one with a plan for you. It tells us right in, once again in black and white that there's somebody else that's got a plan for you. Satan has a plan for you. God's word says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's a plan. That's a plan. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But you go on to read, but I have come that they may have What? life. I came so that these, everyone could could have life and have it more abundantly. From the beginning of mankind, Satan has tried to destroy the human race. Abortion is just, is one way. It's not a modern day travesty. It existed in Old Testament times. Amos 1.13, this is what the Lord says, For three sins of Ammon, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath, because he ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend his borders. Satan has been using abortion as a means to destroy the human race since the beginning of time. So why, why use abortion as a means to destroy? The answer to that question brings us to the second reason that abortion is wrong in God's eyes. 
Secondly, abortion is wrong because it violates God's image. Adam and Eve were created in God's image. And through man's fall, sin entered into this world. And since then, there's not a whole lot that has changed in human nature. The gadgets are different. The people are pretty much the same. So when people say, well, you know, man, today's so different than 100 years. No, only the gadgets. It's the only thing that's different. People haven't changed in thousands of years. We fight the same fights. We battle the same temptations. We often react the same way. Nothing has changed very much. Today, we are still, each of us, created in God's image. Satan still hates God, right? And he still hates us because we are created and formed and knit together in the image of the one person he absolutely hates. He hates looking at us. Abortion has become a very effective way for Satan to destroy God's image before it's ever even born. So, one, abortion is wrong because it violates God's instruction. Secondly, it violates God's image. And third, abortion is wrong because it violates God's sovereignty. We said earlier, God alone has the power and authority to give life and end life. Abortion violates God's sovereignty. David wrote in the Psalms, Psalms 139, beginning at 13, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. We need to view human life. We need to see human life exactly as God sees it. God formed each one of us, and he had a plan for our life before we were ever born. He already knew us. He already had a plan for us. You know, going back to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. That applied to Jeremiah, and it still applies to each and every one of us. Every one of us. God alone has the right to determine life or death. Acts 17.25 says, He gives to all life, breath, and all things. All life has value in God's eyes. We can't be pro-life, and when we hear about someone bombing an abortion clinic, say, all right, somebody got theirs. It doesn't, they can't coexist. Those two attitudes can't coexist. 
God loves the abortion doctor as much as He loves the babies that are aborted. It's hard for us to grasp a hold of that. But that is the truth. You know, Planned Parenthood performs more abortions than any other organization by a long shot. They are the primary abortion clinic of America. And the truth is, there is basically nothing about Planned Parenthood that has anything to do with actually planning parenthood. The entire name is a complete sham. The vast majority of its profits certainly come from planning and facilitating abortions. As I was saying on the, on the, on the website, if you... You want to go to the plan, ever want to go to the Planned Parenthood website? Here are some of the things you'll read. You'll read abortion is a safe and legal way for women to choose to end pregnancy. There are two kinds of abortion in the U.S. in clinic abortion and the abortion pill. It goes on to say abortions are very common. In fact, more than one out of three women in the U.S. have an abortion by the time they are 45 years old. I don't know how accurate that particular statistic is. I think not very accurate because what they don't factor in, they factor in the number of abortions compared to the number of adult women, but they don't factor in the fact that many women have had procedure after procedure. It's, to them, it's a form of birth control. But if you want to average it all out, I guess that's where they come up with this. I think basically Planned Parenthood is just wanting to establish and reinforce in all of us that abortion is so common, it's just not a big deal. As you read through their website, that's, that's what it's screaming. This is no big deal. Most everyone has done it. You're no different. They want to assure us that it's not only safe and legal, and sometimes it is not legal, but they don't care. But also that one-third of the women in this country are, have made this choice. You know, I, I, there's very interesting information about the forming of this particular organization that I believe every American should know. Because they have become such a powerful, powerful force for evil in our country. Every American should know that this organization was founded in 1931. It was originally called the Population Association of America. The Population Association of America. Founded by a woman who was a complete atheist, absolutely did not believe in God, named Margaret Sanger. Many of you might be familiar with that name. Margaret Sanger. She also happened to be a eugenist. Remember that word we talked about? She also was making an attempt to improve the hereditary qualities of a race. Her race. Here is a couple of quotes from Margaret Sanger. Direct quotes. It is every woman's right to live, love, to be lazy, to be an unwed mother, to create life and to destroy life within her own body. 
But here's the one that just is the killer. Our goal, everyone in America needs to know what that this is their goal. Our goal is to eliminate the weeds of America. Margaret Sanger was an extreme racist. She hated African Americans. And the bulk of her idea of beginning this entire organization that now uh, facilitates over a million abortions every year just in this country was to weed out the African American race. African Americans need to know this. Because even though that's why she created it, the largest percentage of women in America that have abortions, the largest percentage are, are African-American women. And yet the whole thing was designed to eliminate them. Planned Parenthood uh, facilities were first located in strictly minor, minority areas. They specifically targeted African-Americans and uh, Jews as well and a few others, but under the guise of helping women to choose, they were actually, in their founder's own words, they were simply trying to eliminate the weeds of America. Wow. Margaret Sanger, her entire life, blatantly denied the existence of a God. The modern-day abortion movement with, with Planned Parenthood, obviously at the helm, continues to deny the sovereignty of God. At some point, the hammer is going to fall hard. But four things, let me close with this. Four practical things that we as God-fearing, Bible-believing Christians, four things that we can do in this battle that we find ourselves in. First, we all need to remember that one person can make a difference in this world. What do I mean by that? You know, I, I said earlier, how has this issue of abortion affected all of us? I have to believe out of the more than 60 million lives that have been ended since this was legalized in America, we have killed geniuses that would have brought cures to who knows what diseases, Answers to untold scientific dilemmas that maybe we face. We've all been affected, but for the most part, we don't realize it probably. One person can change the world. We know that through things that have been invented, through cures that have been found by one person. Had they, that person's life been eliminated, we wouldn't have the cures for certain diseases. We wouldn't have answers to scientific questions that are vitally important in our existence. We wouldn't have a lot of this if just a few key people, if their lives had been terminated before they ever had a chance to be born. As Christians, we all need to realize that every person has great value in this world. One person can change everything. Secondly, we need to continually be in prayer that God is going to move in America to stop this epidemic. You know, we began our year with three days of prayer and fasting. I'll tell you, I would encourage you to uh, have a, a time of fasting on a weekly basis, a monthly basis. But I think we could all skip a meal or two once a week, right? And live to talk about it. 
And what kind of a difference could we be making if we spent that time lifting up these incredible areas of great concern within our own nation, within our world? Make it a point of prayer. Thirdly, we can place in leadership those who will support biblical values. There's a lot of people trying very hard to remove our president from office, and you've heard me say it before, this guy is absolutely no choir boy. But he makes a stand against abortion, and that's good enough for me because the others don't. That's just how I feel about it. If I have a candidate that makes a stand against these atrocities against God's word, that's the direction I'm going. Fourth, we need to be bold enough to share our convictions with others. We need to be able to share what we believe with others. Is that always going to be easy? No. Do we do it in a condemning way? No, we do it in a loving way. Because we should have these views out of the love and concern for people around us. Not pointing a finger of judgment. So as I stated at the beginning of this message, the one thing that this sermon is absolutely not intended to do is to condemn anyone who has made this choice in their life. And maybe no one in the sound of my voice has, but statistics would say otherwise. God wants everyone to know that there is no sin that is too great for him to forgive if we come to him with a repentant heart. That's the good news today. All of us men, women alike, we've all fallen short of the glory of God in many, many ways in our life. Each and every one of us have committed sins against God that only the blood of Jesus was able to cover for us. The great news is that he is still ready and willing to do that in each of our lives. He's ready and waiting. Regardless of what any of you, any of us have done in the past, all we have to do is accept God's grace into our lives, ask him to forgive us of our sins, and just begin our journey of following him and following his word. Amen. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.